Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is Finsider Radio, part of thefinsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Aaron Sutton and Josh Houts. The Miami Dolphins coming off a huge victory over the Chicago Bears, now 4-2. Headed into Sunday's game to take on the 2-3 and three Detroit Lions. If you missed our recap episode with the Bears, be sure to check it out before or after this show. It is about 22-23 minutes long, so it won't take you very long to listen to. And now, let's take a look at this week's game. Dolphins vs. Lions Miami Dolphins taking on the Lions. The Lions are 2-3, and three, but make no mistake about it, they are a good 2-3 and three team. After that embarrassing loss in Week 1, they lost by 3 to the 49ers. They beat the Patriots by 16. They lost to the Cowboys by 2. And then before their bye week, they beat the Packers 31-23. The Dolphins in a tough spot here. This stretch of the schedule, which we talked about so many times, is very tough. The Dolphins are 1-1 one one in this second quarter of the season. They have the Lions and the Texans on Thursday night. Very easy for a team to overlook their Sunday opponent as they head to Thursday night. The Dolphins will travel to Houston after the Lions game. But first, they have to take care of business at Hard Rock Stadium, where they have been very impressive thus far. The Dolphins, again, like I mentioned, in a tough spot because they just played the Chicago Bears, who came off a bye. And now the Lions coming off a bye, and the Dolphins 
ravaged with injuries throughout the roster, but of course trying to get back as quickly and as healthy as possible. The Dolphins looking for their fifth win when they take on the Lions. They have not started a season 5-2 and two since 2003. Coincidentally, they're 5-2 and two in their past seven meetings with the Lions, but Detroit has won each of the past two, dating back to 2010. Detroit Lions head coach Matt Patricia, very familiar with the Dolphins, having served as New England's defensive coordinator from 2012 to 2017. However, in that span, the Dolphins went 4-2 and two and averaged 22.3 points and 349.2 net yards per game in home games versus the Patriots. The Miami Dolphins will be at home at Hard Rock Stadium, as I mentioned, and they do have a nice home field advantage. They're already 3-0. and Their 14 wins in their past 19 regular season games at Hard Rock is the team's best 19-game home stretch since they went 14-5 and from December 10, 2001 to December 28, 2003. Miami has won at least four games, played at Hard Rock Stadium in every season since Adam Gase has been the head coach, which has been since 2016. Of course, Brock Osweiler having a huge game on Sunday versus the Chicago Bears. He will look to keep it going this coming Sunday. So, Houts, break down the Miami Dolphins' pass offense for us and what we can expect to see from the Dolphins and maybe even the Lions as well. Well, the first thing we got to talk about is the quarterback position. I think it's still up in the air whether or not we're going to see Ryan Tannehill go. Adam Gase was very vocal and seemed to be get a little angry and irritated when he was asked this question. I don't know if you guys saw the press conference, but it was hilarious. He just went off. He just, you know, I'm sick of talking about this guy. It's between him and I, and we're just going to let that. You don't need to know. So, I mean, it's it's up in the air. You would see a little bit of a different game plan, I believe. I think the Dolphins run that more vertical passing game when Ryan, when Ryan Tannehill's out there, and I'm not really sure quite why because that Brock Osweiler, those short passes, those efficient passes that we saw on Sunday is the way this offense, you know, it's kind of built to run. But quarterback aside, it comes down to those receivers. And, I mean, Albert Wilson had a phenomenal game last week. He was targeted, I believe, nine times, six receptions, 155 yards, two touchdowns. The guy played out of his mind. You look at where Detroit ranks, they're currently 14th in the NFL, around 268 passing yards per game. So they're right there in the middle of the pack. They got the, they got some decent corners. I don't think it's anything to scare the Dolphins. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to how those Dolphin receivers can get off the line and make plays. And you got a guy like Danny Amendola. He seemed to be Brock Osweiler's favorite target last week. Eight receptions, 59 yards. Kenny Stills, he only had one reception, but he had that huge two-point conversion in the back of the end zone. So, I mean, it's really going to come down to which quarterback goes out there and plays. But I think the Dolphins can have success in the passing game. And a lot of that's going to be through Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant. You know, Devontae Parker, he had four snaps last Sunday. I don't know if it was after that interception, that that throw from Osweiler. You know, it was on the sideline. A lot of people are disputing whether or not it was his fault or Parker's fault. I think the fault goes to both of them. I think Parker should have adjusted. He did not. An easy interception. And I think after that, Adam Gase is like, you know what, I'm, I'm taking this dude out. So at the end of the day, it's going to come down to how these teams can go out there and they can have success in the passing game. I'll let Sutton touch on the run game, but Detroit is 30th in the NFL against the run. So that's kind of where the Dolphins should go out there and, you know, give it to Frank Gore and Kenny Drake. But ultimately, it's going to come down to what those receivers can do on the outside. I'd like to see more Mike Jasicki. Nick O'Leary had a heck of a game. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, many people may not have even heard of up until that game. And he just went out there, looked pretty, pretty darn good. Mike Jasicki was hurdling guys. Just overall, the passing game just seemed to work last week. 
everyone can talk about that Brock Osweiler interception where he, you know, he looked left, didn't even look back to the right and just threw that out route to Albert Wilson that was picked off. Uh, I'm going to say it again. I've seen Ryan Tannehill do the same exact thing. You shouldn't predetermine a throw pre-snap. I, I'm sure it's part of the offense. It's kind of some, one of those rhythm things. I'm sure it's something that they practice day in and day out. But Brock Osweiler looked pretty in control of that offense. I don't want to say I hope he starts, but I think he, uh, you know, if Ryan Tannehill isn't healthy, he deserves his opportunity. Then we're going to flip over to Detroit Lions, Kenny Galladay, Golden Tate, Marvin Jones Jr. Tory McIntyre got destroyed by Taylor Gabriel. I mean, he just got eaten, eaten, chewed up and spit out by a guy who, you know, some the Atlanta Falcons didn't want him. He went to Chicago. He's kind of having a quiet year and just went out there and just balled out. So I think that's going to be the biggest matchup to see who McIntyre's lined up against because whoever it may be could have a huge game. I'm guessing Kenny Galladay is going to be lined up with Xavier Howard. Minka Fitzpatrick should be taking on Golden Tate, who, I mean, Golden Tate is one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. And then Torrey McIntyre, I mean, that's lining him up against Marvin Jones and and nickel set. So that's a little bit scary there. But overall, I think the Dolphins can go out there and have success in the passing game. They just stick to the run. I mean, we talk about it every week. Run the ball. Go out there and run those play-action passes. Whichever quarterback it is, they got to have success in those throws. they got to go out there and not make mistakes. Don't turn the ball over. I think this is a very vulnerable game. And, again, they're at home, and Dolphins are awesome at home. So that's the way I view the passing game. Let's flip it over to Sutton for the run. Before Sutton speaks, uh, Sutton will get more into the pass defense later in the episode. But literally, as we are recording right now, three yards per carry, we had the news about Tannehill last week before the Lions game is now reporting that Ryan Tannehill, through multiple sources, they have learned that he is highly unlikely to play on Sunday against the Detroit Lions as part of a two- to three-week evaluation period. They continue to say that Tannehill's current shoulder injury is believed to be unrelated to the injury that occurred September 23rd against the Raiders and likely occurred in the fourth quarter against the Bengals. They continue on to say, according to sources, while the Dolphins feared a significant labral injury as recently as Friday, Further evaluation has determined that major invasive surgery is not necessary at this time, and the rest rehab is the current course of action to see if the strength returns. So obviously, let's just touch on that just a little bit. I think that last line there is a little worrisome for me when they say, if the strength returns, the strength may not return. It may return. It is up in the air, and I don't think that they put that out there by accident in terms of the sources talking to three yards per carry and wording it that way. We kind of mentioned that on our last show. We've kind of mentioned it on Twitter. But if Brock Osweiler goes out there and continues to light it up, does that strength ever fully return this season? Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. He only had one great game. He needs to show he can continue. Touts, do you want to jump back to your passing offense with Brock Osweiler now the starting quarterback on Sunday? Yeah, it definitely appears. I mean, those guys at three yards per carry, what they're doing at five years in sports, I mean, those guys, they're in the know. So take this. uh, This is pretty definitive stuff right here. I mean, it's something that's a bit concerning. If you're a Ryan Tannehill fan, a guy who kind of supported him throughout his career, you kind of wonder, you know, where does he go from here? These guys... 30 years old, he's set to make, what, 19? Uh, I think it's almost $26 million next year, probably 19 against the cap. Uh, you just wonder what his Miami Dolphins, you know, is this the end of his career? If something, if for some reason Brock Osweiler goes out there and continues to play at the level he is, is this the end of Ryan Tannehill? Will we see him again in a Dolphins uniform? Uh, but what does this say for the offense this Sunday? I mean, you're going to see a lot of the same things you saw against Chicago. 
I'm going to let Sutton talk about the run game, but Detroit's ranked 30th in the NFL. You saw Frank Gore go out there last week and just pound the football down their throat. So Brock Osler went out there and he had a heck of a game. You take away that interception where he stared down the receiver. And I mean, some people are, he might be winning like NFL, you know, passer of the week or quarterback of the week, offense player of the week, whatever it is. So I'm pretty confident in where the Dolphins are. I think Adam Gase had a heck of a game plan last week, and I think they can go out there and have success against Detroit. I think Brock Osweiler, this is his opportunity to prove that he can be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I know a lot of people laugh at that. You joke about that. You saw what he did in Cleveland, Houston, Denver. None of those teams wanted to keep him. They moved along. Uh, him and Adam Gase, that's a marriage there that you know might work. So I'm all for the Brock Lobster. I'm all for giving the Brock star another opportunity. Interested to see what it does against Detroit. I think it's a very winnable game, especially at home. Yeah, I can't wait to see what's brewing in that Brock pot this weekend. But uh, to get over to the run offense, and I think this game kind of was drifting towards this way, in my opinion, anyway, when you look at it from a game plan standpoint, because it just looks like, generally speaking, the Lions secondary is a little bit ahead of the run defense. And uh, you could see Ziggy Onsaw come back for, for the Lions this week. He's been out since week one with a shoulder injury. So this is obviously a huge mitigating factor in everything I'm about to say. But ironically enough, uh, an imposing interior defensive line. They have some Alabama boys there with Deshaun Hand and Ashawn Robinson. But you're not seeing it materializing in, on the stat sheets because you're seeing 24th in total rush yards given up t- despite the buy. So, you're, yeah, you're looking at the third worst per game rushing defense in the NFL and the third worst uh, yards per carry average. So, And what you see is a really huge gulf between their wins and their losses. And those two wins versus the New England Patriots and the Green Bay Packers, you're under 100 yards. When you're talking about the three losses, you're giving up at least 169 yards on the ground. So huge golf there and those uh, kind of data sets there. So take that for what it's worth. And I just want to throw this out there real quick. Just the fact that Detroit has beaten the, the Patriots and the Packers this year, but have lost embarrassingly to the Jets and then lost to San Francisco and Dallas on the road. It reminds me of Dolphin teams where we see those stats come out where they're they're three and one against playoff teams, or like two and zero oh against the Super Bowl teams, and then are like two and six against under five hundred teams. So you just don't know what Detroit team is going to uh, show up each week. So it's going to be interesting to see how that materializes. And going back to just our, our running back situation, and you saw Kenyon Drake just absolutely depressed on the sideline after he had that fumble and before that though I thought he was there were some snaps where he was just running angry I don't know if you guys saw that I know Eric our buddy on Twitter Eric Elizondo uh, noticed it and he was just running with some brutality and after having that type of experience where he has that almost lose the the game for your team sort of feeling fumbling on the one there and then to you know make a couple plays later in overtime and win that game and be vindicated, I, I would expect him to uh, come out and run angry again against Detroit. I think Frank Gore will be Frank Gore. You mentioned Nick O'Leary earlier, Houts. Uh, I think he's a plus at tight end when you when you look at it just from being a complimentary football sort of aspect. I mean, he he, he fills a niche that we didn't have there. And, uh, you know, it's another week for this offensive line to come together. 
I think uh, with the heat, I think we can grind it out a little bit, wear them down, and and get that W. But you know, this this is our second team on a buy. So just to to go to the Brock news that you just dropped on us and the possibility of Ryan being out this week and possibly even longer than that. This is our second team on a buy, but that buy doesn't seem to affect it as much because we literally just played with Brock. So they're just now watching uh, that film. So if they're trying to uh, determine how differently are we approaching our playbook with Brock at the helm, I don't think they're going to be able to see that much and they're not going to, that buy is not going to benefit them from a game plan standpoint. So I think if we come in and we are the more physical team when we are uh, rushing the ball, really in general, but if we're dominating the trenches in the run game, this is, this is going to be a game that Miami is going to do pretty well in. Frank Gore, you mentioned a guy is just an ageless wonder, but the general offense as a whole, they exploded against the number two ranked defense with the Chicago Bears. They had one of their best offensive performances in franchise history. They were second in the NFL in yards allowed and second in the NFL in points allowed entering the game. But Miami posted 541 yards of total offense, which was the fifth most in a game in team history and fourth most in a regular season game. Of course, the offense scoring 31 points for the win. They used a balanced attack with those 541 offensive yards. Miami had a 300-yard passer on Brock Osweiler, 380 yards, a 100-yard rusher with Frank Gore, 101 yards, a 100-yard receiver in Albert Wilson with 155 yards. In the same game for the first time since December 1st, 1991, I was in kindergarten against Tampa Bay when Marino, Mark Higgs, and Troy, Tony Martin all, all surpassed 300, 100, and 100, respectively. Albert Wilson produced one of the best fourth quarters in NFL history. He nearly set an NFL record with one of the most productive fourth quarters. The offseason acquisition had five receptions for 150 yards. That's a 30-yard average and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Each of his touchdown receptions tied the game. A 43-yarder with 9.08 remaining and a 75-yarder with 3.01 to play in regulation. His 150 receiving yards in the fourth quarter are the third most in NFL history since records started being tracked in 1991. So the Dolphins offense will look to keep their momentum going, obviously looking to get Albert Wilson more involved, Jakeem Grant, Frank Gore, and even Kenyon Drake, who we talked about on the show, how he had that goal line fumble but still fought through adversity and had a hell of a drive in overtime to help the Dolphins win that game. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, how the Miami Dolphins run defense has been pretty good over the past few weeks. Again, though, they are struggling with scatbacks. Tariq Cohen had a day, got his yards, got his catches, ran all over the place. And as the Dolphins head to face the Lions on Sunday, it's not going to get any easier with Carrion Johnson and even Theo Riddick mixed in there. How are the Dolphins going to do against the Detroit Lions run offense? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you look at what they are. The Detroit Lions, I mean, they got, what, Theo Riddick, LeGarrette Blunt, Kerryon Johnson. I mean, they got some decent running backs there, but it wasn't until, what, two weeks ago where they had their first 100-yard running back in almost two or three years, I think it was. So uh, it's it's going to be a difficult task for sure because all of those guys bring a different dynamic. Theo Riddick's that pass catcher that we talked about 
the Tyreek Cohens, the Sony Michels, the James Whites that go out in the backfield and just seem to carve the Dolphins up. Kyrion Johnson's probably their best running back. I think what he's done those last few weeks have solidified that. And then you got LeGarrette Blunt, who's the Thunder, just that booming back that's hard to tackle. You mentioned Frank Gore running like his hair was on fire. That's pretty much what you see out of a guy like LeGarrette Blunt. He just bulldozes over you. So, I mean, the Dolphins are definitely have their hands full. They're currently the 21st ranked run defense in the NFL, giving up 118.2 yards per game. I mean, I think that stat's a little bit skewed because you see the Dolphins time and time again. I mean, they go out there, they had this awesome run defense, and then they just seem to give up that big play. I mean, Vincent Taylor was playing out of his mind. I mean, he alone is making everyone just kind of forget about Ndamukong Sue. Then you got a guy like Devon Godshaw, Keem Spence. Robert Quinn is, again, I can't believe the Dolphins got him for fourth-round pick. So, I mean, overall, that front four is just playing very good football. I can't wait to see Cam Wake back. I don't know that we're going to see him back this week. Andre Branch had a pretty poor performance, according to our boys over at Pro Football Focus this week. But it's it's going to be a tough task because, again, they have those weapons on the outside that the Dolphins have to fear. So, I mean, are they going to go out and play nickel all game? Or are they going to try to spread the Dolphins out and then run the football? Good news is a guy like Kiko Alonso, I mean, he's a guy who I've took Twitter now twice to just apologize to because year one, I was super stoked when the Dolphins traded for him. Last year, he had a down year. I think you can credit that more to the guys around him. He seemed to be out of position, and he just had an offseason. And this year, he's just playing out of his mind. I think 61 tackles, three forced fumbles, two interceptions. Kiko Alonso, I mean, if the season ended today, as much as Pro Bowls don't mean anything, he would make it for all the right reasons. Jerome Baker. Raquan McMillan, complete revamp of the Dolphins linebacking core. And I think that's going to come in handy this week. You look at Detroit Lions offensive line, they have some pieces there. They have the Taylor Deckers, you know, the Graham Glasgow's. They got different guys there up front who are good at their position, but I think the Dolphins front four is going to cause problems for them. And I think if the Dolphins can, you know, stay there in coverage, you can keep Xavier Howard on Galladay, you can keep Minko on Tate. Uh, Mac Tyre can, you know, hopefully he can show up this week. Bring those guys down from the secondary, the the Rashad Joneses, the TJ McDonald's, bring them into the box when needed. But overall, I think our front four can beat their front four. And I think when you factor in those linebackers, they should be able to make tackles. They should be able to prevent this run game from getting ahead of them. So I think I, I like the way the Dolphins match up on paper. I think that they're going to end up, you know, winning up front. They're going to win those battles in the trenches. And that's going to be a difference maker, at least in the run game. Before we get to the pass defense with Sutton, just want to run through some general Dolphins notes here on the defense, which ties into the pass defense because their red zone defense has been absolutely phenomenal. They've allowed opponents to score touchdowns on just 42.9% of red zone possessions this year, the sixth best mark in the NFL. They've allowed points to be scored on just 57.1% of the red position possessions, far and away the best mark in the NFL. A lot of that is due to the five forced turnovers in the red zone. No other NFL team has more than three. The Dolphins also lead the NFL by allowing touchdowns on just 36.4% of goal-to-go series. Now, the Dolphins' defense is among the best in the NFL through several major statistical categories. First in interceptions with 11. Tied for third in turnovers forced with 14. Fifth in opposing passer rating at 81.9. Tied for 8th in opposing passing touchdowns at 9. 11th in opposing offensive points per game at 21.2. 11th in opposing yards per carry at 4.01. And 15th in opposing completion percentage at 64. 
Sutton, as you look at the Miami Dolphins' past defense and you look at all the weapons the Lions have with Marvin Jones, Golden Kate, Kenny Galladay, and the pass catchers out of the backfield, how do you see the Dolphins shaping up against the Lions on Sunday in these areas? Let's start with quarterback position. Let's start with Matt Stafford. And this is someone I don't really like to admit that he's playing at a pretty good level because he always seems to screw me when I draft him in fantasy football. He always seems like a chic pick and he'll end up being in like the 15 range. And then when I don't draft him, he's like in the top six or something. So, but anyway, he's got 10 touchdowns, five interceptions. His offensive line is doing pretty well for him this year. They're tied for eighth and uh, sacks given up per game, right? With uh, yours truly, the Miami Dolphins. And you had mentioned them, both you guys have mentioned them in different uh, scenarios, but, you know, their their trio of Kenny Galladay and Golden Tate and Marvin Jones is a pretty formidable group, and they don't really play around. I mean, they uh, it's not an offense that uh, targets the tight end at all. You know, it, out of the 197 targets, 155 of them have gone to four people, Golden Tate, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones and Theo Riddick in that order. So those are the key uh, people to, to focus in on the pass offense. And if other people beat us, you tip your hat to them and say, hey, you, you wamboozled us. But they're definitely going to be targeting those four players. And it's a scheme that is going to challenge us a little bit more vertically than I think we're used to. We have seen a few of the dink and dunk teams so far and – you know, it's probably more analogous to the Cincinnati downfield attack than it is anything else. But it, this is historically a very high pass ratio offense, and this is uh, no different in 2018. They're in the top 10 in pass ratio. They're right over 64%. It's even uh, more pronounced on the road. You're going to see them. You're going to see them uh, drop back in the pocket and throw a lot of passes, and they're going to test you down the field, and uh, they have a good offensive line to protect them. So this is going to be a really important game for that defensive uh, line, pass rush, and secondary interplay. Are we are we getting to the quarterback, making him uncomfortable a little bit? I notice the Packers, you know, uh, I always notice what division opponents try to do in, the, uh, in that week five matchup that they had and the Packers blitzed the Lions from the secondary quite a bit more than I'm used to and you know it's probably because it stuck out to me it probably seems like a lot but I would say at least four or five times saw them blitz either a corner or a safety so do not be surprised if Matt Burke brings TJ McDonald or Shad Jones who have been well versed in the blitzes off the edges and they're pretty good at disguising what they do as well. Wouldn't be surprised to see them go that route and making Stafford uncomfortable in the pocket there. But this game is really going to test the depth of our secondary, and we've seen Torrey McTire not do so well. Tank came in, yeah, still not sure what's going on there. So the health of Bobby McCain really makes a, a huge difference in this game to see whether he's going to play or not. Uh, haven't really seen much news on on how he's doing. Obviously, that pass rush is just huge. But, how it's you were kind of talking about matchups earlier. And, obviously, the whole, uh, the big crux of this whole conversation is going to be, is, is Bobby McCain available? Because if he has the agility that 
we expect him to have, then I really like him on Golden Tate. But he, if he is not, if he is not in that uh, position, then you know, like Hout said, maybe we put Minka there, and and he does a little bit uh, there in the slot with you know growing experience there. I like Xavier on 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 Kenny Galladay or Marvin Jones there. Marvin Jones is. It's pretty fast, dude. So I think this is going to be a, a tricky game for Xavier. So this is going to be where him and his agent kind of formulate their game plan about getting paid here in a year or two, is shutting this type of a wide receiver trio down. Because I, I would argue this this is maybe a top three wide receiver trio in the NFL, the way they complement each other. We will see how all of this shakes out on Sunday when the Dolphins take on the Lions at Hard Rock Stadium Of course, the Miami Dolphins pass offense exploding versus the Chicago Bears. The run offense doing the same, very consistent. Adam Gase calling a wonderful game. And Brock Osweiler and the rest of the offense executing it beautifully. The defense trending towards the top of the league. They will have their hands full with the Detroit Lions. Offensive schemes and players and everything that they do very well. It's going to be a battle. And if the Dolphins can keep it up and play like they did this past Sunday... They should have no problem taking on the Detroit Lions and getting their fifth win of the season. In our view. And now it is time to not really predict what the final score is going to be for Sunday, but more so predict how the game is going to go. And I'll start here. And I just kind of said it before we transitioned into this segment. I do think Brock Osweiler has great command of this offense. I know I've been getting a ton of heat, a ton of crap on this. Everyone's coming at me in every which way saying Brock Osweiler won great game. Who cares? He really didn't do any of the work. Well, he did. And I know that everyone's going to point to his time in Denver where he struggled and his time in Houston, where he was dreadful and his short time in Cleveland, where he barely lasted a few weeks or whatever it was. People can change though. Players can become better in different systems and different schemes. If Jeff Fisher was in year one and drafted Jared Goff year one, Jared Goff would have been a mediocre quarterback for several years before Jeff Fisher inevitably got fired. And then either Goff would have been on a different team or he would have gotten a coach like Sean McVay and he would have been the quarterback that he is today. Yes, Brock Osweiler, I'm not saying we're going to flip a switch here and he's going to be the next Jared Goff or next Tom Brady or next Aaron Rodgers. But there's a chance that he's comfortable in Adam Gase's system. There's a chance he knows exactly what to do on that field. And there's a chance he can execute this offense beautifully, and I do think that he can do just that. I think this defense is trending up. Hopefully the Dolphins get Bobby McCain back on Sunday, which will be huge. Then they'll pretty much have their entire defense back intact, maybe the exception with Cameron Wake and Charles Harris, but it's not like Harris has done much anyways. So for me, I kind of see this game going the same way a little bit the Bears game went. I do see the Dolphins coming out with a better lead, so to say. And I don't think this comes down to the very last drive or the very last few drives of the game where the Dolphins are coming from behind. I do think the Dolphins win this game. And again, we're not going to do scores, but I do think they win it comfortably 
where we're not biting our nails and scratching our heads and just wondering if the Dolphins are going to pull this one off. How, how about you? Yeah, now that we know our quarterback is, I mean, that's what it all comes down to. I think you said it best. It's going to be a lot like that Chicago Bears game. The Dolphins and Adam Gase, they are complete money at home lately in Hard Rock Stadium. I mean, even when you don't think they're going to win, like last week, for instance, they seem to pull a win out of their butts. And, I mean, that's kind of how I see this going. It does scare me that the Lions are coming off a bye, much like Chicago. But I, I don't think they have that high-octane offense that the the Bears have. Sure, the receivers are good. I think their running backs are decent. But I think the Dolphins can contain both of those positions. I think, like Sutton said, if Bobby McCain can play, that would be huge for us. Uh, but it's all going to come down to Brock Osweiler. Big Brock Brock, whatever you want to call him. I mean, he's the guy who this game's going to rely heavily on. You'd like to think that I'm and him can they you know they can have some kind of plan heading into this especially if the reports are true which it does seem like they are uh, he's got an entire week to prepare go out there run the football and make Brock Osweiler he, he can't go out there and throw another 40 some passes because that's not a key to victory no matter who your quarterback is but go out there establish a run against the 30th ranked run defense don't turn the football over and have Brock Osweiler have another efficient game. Give the ball to Albert Wilson as much as you can. Get Jakeem Grant involved. Devontae Parker, you can just leave him at home. Uh, there's no reason to even bring him to the stadium on Sunday. Uh, Mike Jasicki, get him more involved. I, I think the Dolphins can definitely exploit some things there in the secondary. I think their offense can be better than what Detroit can show in defense. Matt Patricia, yeah, he has familiarity with the Dolphins. We know that he was there with New England to just, you know, be an Achilles heel, a thorn in our side for years. But I think the Dolphins have an offense. You saw Adam Gase last week. We questioned his play calling. We questioned, you know, him as an offensive-minded coach. He went out there and he put all the doubters, he put all the naysayers to the side and said, you know what, this is my offense. Uh, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. I can make things work. Uh, you kind of hope to see that this week. Another victory at home is kind of what I'm predicting. But it's all going to come down to Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler plays well. Uh, Dolphins will, you know, they'll be 5-2. and two. They'll be heading into that game against Houston next week on Thursday, kind of a revenge game for Brock Osweiler. So I think it'd be a real cool story for that to happen, but they need to go out there and take care of business against a very good Detroit Lions team first. Yeah, just to add further validity to the whole Brock Osweiler, Ryan Tannehill talk, I'm on the Bovada website right now and there's no available uh, betting line for the Detroit Lions-Miami Dolphins game on Sunday and it's the only game of that nature. So, you know, Vegas doesn't want to take this off the table for any particular reason. So uh, they're, they're, they're holding out because they need to gather more information about how to, to generate the spread for Sunday. So you know something's going on for sure. Kanata, I'm going to go actually in the exact opposite direction. I don't mean that we're going to lose, but I mean that you, you thought maybe that something comfortable would happen this Sunday. And I assure you, uh, being a Dolphins fan for a very long time, that nothing comfortable will happen this Sunday. And I can speak to this with personal experience because I was there in 2014 with my wife and my buddy, Alfin, who you met at the Cincinnati trip, Kanata. We were there with the 20 to 16 loss with Theo Riddick catching a pass there at the end. You guys might remember that game more so for the ridiculous interception that Brent Grimes had on Megatron. But I look for the cosmic karmic balance to be restored. Uh, I happen to be there witnessing a, a last second loss. So I think this is going to be another redemption win for the Miami Dolphins. We're going to be looking at these guys like Cardiac Kids again, like 2016. 
we can bounce back from anything. I think we eke one out, but we get it done. We will know for sure by 4 p.m., maybe earlier on Sunday, when the Dolphins take on the Lions at Hard Rock Stadium. Can Brock Osweiler continue his strong play after coming in and bursting on the scene against the Bears? Or will he turn into the Brock Osweiler we all know? Looks like he's tapped up to start against the Lions and then the Texans before the Dolphins head into their mini-bye and then taking on the Jets. Will Ryan Tannehill come back for that game? Will he not? I do think a lot of it's going to depend on how Brock does the next two games. We are going to find out in the coming days and the coming weeks whether or not Brock can continue to be the guy moving forward while Tannehill rests his shoulder injury or if he's going to turn back into the Brock Osweiler we all know. That's going to do it for us here on Finsider Radio. For Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton, I am Matt Kanata. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. 
But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.